Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast, where we consider the classics in light of the Christ. My name is Colton Moore, and I'm with uh, my good friend, my dear friend. <laughs> and his Devin. name is <laughs> Devin Wilkins, and we're uh, going to discuss the, the Iliad, books 12 through 14. As we said uh, a few weeks ago, we're taking a little bit larger strides with the Iliad. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One, we got to get through it at some point <laughs> in a reasonable time. <laughs> and second, secondly, it I think I think it helps us focus our um, discussion a bit as we talk um, more macro over over chapters of of this poem. And we think it'll help help listeners, especially those listeners who are students or teachers of. Uh, the classics, um, and particularly the Iliad, right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, Devin, why don't you take us away with a summary of books twelve through fourteen, and I'll do my very best to ask a relevant question. Um, we'll see how it goes. Well, we start here in book twelve, and right away um, after Agamemnon. Uh, attacked and really did some damage to the Trojans, the Trojans decide to counter. And Hector says, uh, that's some good advice. Let's storm the Achaean ramparts and basically, you know, tear down that wall (laughs) under, uh, under Hector's um, taking the lead there. And then in book 13, uh, the two Ajaxes successfully counter that that uh, attack from Hector and company. And then finally in book 14, at first it kind of seems like, wait, I thought there were 24 books, this might be the end. But Agamemnon's talking about getting out of town, but uh, he is spurred by Diomedes um, to fight and Poseidon jumps in and really in book 14 Poseidon uh, figures or looms pretty largely um, as well as Hera as they both intervene in order to to um, strengthen the Achaeans in order to basically launch a counter offensive amid their ships Um, and Hera uh, she, she, <laughs> she uh, basically pulls sleep into the mix and Aphrodite as well, and as a result, uh, she lulls Zeus, who's who's been chilling up on the mountain, uh, not paying attention to the battle. Uh, she lulls him into a, or really seduces him. She seduces him, and then he uh, falls asleep, and that frees up Poseidon to to do his worst. This, this is this is like where all the all the high school students that you're teaching start blushing at this point, start blushing because yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's, this is Hera's plan. This is Hera's plan. Oh, like what? Yeah, Hera, she's. She's uh, she's not a good girl, you know. But uh, and I will say 
Colton and I was scandalized by all the graphic um, descriptions of, of of killings and the sex scene. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. That's just, um, no wonder they have children's versions of the Iliad. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's like it's really similar to. Um, many scenes in the Holy Scriptures that are just not uh, sugar-coated. And you read them, especially in your, in your younger Christian days, and mm-hmm. you think, oh, does, hey, does, does your Bible say that? Because my Bible says... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean... It, 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 What's encouraging at least with about <laughs> gazelles. Yeah. <laughs> What's encouraging at least for, for this scene is that at least at least Zeus is um sleeping with his wife, his his rightful, lawful wife, and not some other goddess or demigod or other some other uh, mortal human, uh which is uh, a common theme in, in in Zeus's in Zeus's um story. <laughs> so Mm-hmm. Still, there's some yeah. relational tension. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, needless to say, the chapter or the book, book fourteen, ends with a, a face-off between uh, Big Ajax and Hector again, and uh, Hector actually takes a blow from a boulder, and it nearly kills him. But he's he's uh, where did he get that boulder from? By a god. Uh, boulders just like come out of nowhere in the story. Like it's like they're on the, they're like they're on a chariot, and all of a sudden, like and he found this boulder and he threw it at at Hector, and it just pinned him to the ground. It's like, well, first, how big is this boulder? I mean, some some walls were just torn down, so maybe maybe there's you know some fair fair some, some like some, some some debris from the wall, and then but like. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That's that's fair <laughs> point. I mean, he it doesn't well, say maybe boulder. Maybe right? was like, "Hey, you could use a boulder." Here you go. <laughs> a Deus ex anyway. or a, a Deus Deus ex machina boulder style. <laughs> um, but but Hector almost dies. He's like coughing up blood at the end, and uh, they they drag him off. And he luckily escapes. Yeah. Now there's. The Thank you, Devin. <laughs> there's there's a few different things that we could talk about uh, in this uh-huh. in this little section. Um, battle tactics, leadership strategies between Hector and Agamemnon, even ironically. Hera, the wife. Um, mm. um, but I, I kind of just want to. I'm I'm earnestly interested in understanding more about the relational tensions between the gods that result from this war. Mm-hmm. As we know, Hera and Athena and Poseidon are for the Greeks, with Apollo, Ares, and Aphrodite for the Trojans. 
And Zeus is kind of in this middle ground mm-hmm. where he's governing it all. And so he's not really on either side except for when he wants to be, when it, when it serves his ultimate ends. And this brings lots of tension between mm-hmm. the, um, the, the lesser six Olympians and Zeus. Um, and, and so, like, in, in Book like 13... I'm keeping track. Do what? Sorry, I Wait, said I like this. You're keeping score. You know, you've got the scorecard here. You're, uh, <laughs> it's like you have a, a graph over there, and you're, you're I, I, I love it. Oh, I don't Actually, know. I, <laughs> well, it's all it's all fresh in my mind because I've just I, we just finished the Iliad with my ninth grade students, and um, and so it, it's it's all really fresh in my mind, and I've got all these questions swarming, and so we'll take a stab at at, at this one. In in book thirteen in Fagel's line four hundred to four ten, this is what he says: quote, "The two powerful sons of Cronus, Zeus and Poseidon, their deathless spirits warring against each other. They were building mortal pains for seasoned heroes. Zeus willing a Trojan victory, Hector's victory, lifting the famous runner Achilles' glory higher." But he had no lust to destroy the whole Argive force before the walls of Troy. All the father wanted was glory for Thetis and Thetis' strong-willed son. But Poseidon, surging in secret out of the gray surf, went driving into the Argive ranks and lashed them on, on an uh, agonized for fighters beaten down by the Trojans. So there's a tension here between, uh, between Zeus and Poseidon. Mm-hmm. Zeus right now uh, wants to give Achilles and Thetis the glory that he's promised to them. But Poseidon, mm-hmm. Poseidon is upset by that um, because he wants the Argives to win. But note that Achilles, or that uh, Homer doesn't, uh, sorry, what's the name, Zeus, doesn't necessarily want uh, the, the Argives to, to lose, if you will. But still, that like that brings attention. Like they're 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 butting heads about who's who should get the higher ground, and like I guess I guess one question regarding this whole tension regarding Poseidon and Zeus is, um, does Poseidon know Zeus's ultimate will? It seems like the men know. The men know that Troy's going to burn, and that uh, and and Achilles knows that he's going to get glory, but does. Does Poseidon know that? Because if he did, why is he so upset if he knows that the Argives are going to win? Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I seem to recall, and I'm not exactly sure that I'll be able to find it, but I seem to recall uh, back a, a few books ago, Poseidon was really upset about the... Greek rampart standing. He doesn't like it. Uh, he wants he wants it he wants it to go away. But uh, Zeus had given him some comfort, saying something to the effect of, "Hey, it's just there for now. This will come down. Don't you worry." Maybe that was even in Book Twelve. I can't remember. But um, yeah. Uh, that that to say, it does seem like 
Zeus has kind of clued him in a little bit. But I guess maybe it doesn't necessarily... But like even Hera 2. Hera 2. In in book 12, the Trojans are uh, about to ransack the Greeks. They've they've breached the palisade that, that they've built, and they're about to like crawl over or crawl through the, the trench that they've dug to protect their ships. Book 13, the the Greeks make a, a strong counterattack and, and defend themselves. Um, but they have uh, lots of loss, which, lots of losses which cause Agamemnon to even uh, think about deserting. And meanwhile, book 14 uh, details that Hera, here we go, Hera is in fear of the Argives, that they're, they're going to be overrun by the Trojans, which assumes that it's a possibility that the Trojans are going to take over the Argives. But does, it, does she not know that Zeus has already promised to destroy Troy? If so, does she just not trust him? Or does she not know fully his will? And so she goes on this whole, um, plan, she develops this whole plan to, to seduce him into the bed, make him fall asleep, while meanwhile Poseidon is going to tro- urge the Greeks to rise up and um, fight back on the Trojans. And so like, there's this tension that I just wonder if it's, is it, is it necessary that the gods are um, so opposed to one another if they ultimately know Zeus's will? Are they are they are they completely mm-hmm. in the loop? I I don't know. Your question ultimately, Colton, is basically: Are the rest of the gods clued in fully to the will of Zeus? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem. I mean, there are there are certain pockets here and there in the narrative where it does seem kind of like it. You know. I think last, our last reading, uh, Hera said something to the effect of your secret pact with Thetis, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she seems to know about this kind of thing. But then if, if they knew that Zeus's will entailed victory for the Argives in the end, then they wouldn't have to take pains to, you know, put him to sleep and seduce him and make sure that it's, you know, that, that there's not going to be any trouble as a result of, you know, going behind his back. And I mean, there, there's a lot of sneaking um, that yeah. betrays a, either they don't know or they don't trust. And, and in one sense, if the if the gods weren't worrisome about whether or not their men, Greeks or the Trojans, were uh, had the advantage, then mm-hmm. we we might just undercut, quite frankly, a good story. Like a good story, what well, was going to have conflict in it and some sort of resolve to that conflict. I mean, there wouldn't be much conflict between the gods if they all said, "Oh, well, Zeus." Okay, okay, Troy's going to burn. 
You're going to give Achilles and Thetis and the Trojans their hour of glory. Okay. All right, cool. Go for it. Have your way. Like, we wouldn't have all the intra-familial conversations if um, if they just kind of went along with it. It's, it's, it's real similar to um, the... The complexity of living in time right now while knowing God has already mm-hmm. planned and willed um, all matters to come into to come into being like we God's sovereign rule over the cosmos does not preclude our um, temporal responsibilities on on earth and our real struggle with mm-hmm. wickedness and the enemy um which i mean it's it's gruesome at times but i can't help but mm-hmm. think for, for, from from god's perspective like it makes for a good story because then we have a savior who comes and saves us and conquers and defeats the enemy and does it now through the church. Um, so mm. I'm just trying to say, I'm or trying to answer yeah. my own thoughts by uh, saying that perhaps part of this is a good story, but maybe another part is there's there's real uncertainties within the gods, um, even within Zeus. Like he's lulled asleep. Does he not realize what his wife is doing? He's got some limitations right. <laughs> as the king of kings in the Greek world. Yeah. He he's not omniscient. Right. N- neither is he omnipotent. Yeah. And even that makes for an interesting story from our perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But and and we've talked about this before, but it it seems to make it like an upstairs downstairs kind of story where you've got really a human story um, on the ground and a, a deathless human story in the air. Um, and praise God that reality is not really like that. <laughs> and strangely, our good God through and through is able to write a narrative, like a, a genuine history that is better and more complicated, uh, c- complex than uh, than Zeus is able to weave here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, which uh, brings to mind another another thought regarding these these scenes is. In, in book 12, Hector is um, triumphantly leading the way through the Argive mm-hmm. ranks, and it terrifies Agamemnon. And Agamemnon shirks back, seriously contemplates uh, departing, uh, abandoning his, his troops as a coward, actually calling them all to set sail to go back home. And Odysseus rises up and says, whoa, 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 no way. We are not doing that. This book should be about me instead. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right, and it will be. It will be. <laughs> and Diomedes oh, yeah. rises up, and basically, it's like, it's like I, I see Agamemnon abdicating his role, Odysseus putting the king in charge because the king's not doing his job, and um, one of the other heroes of the Greeks rising up, one of the one of the great warriors, and and leading the charge for Agamemnon, and then we see up in the heavens. In book 14, Zeus, um, not really abdicating his role, but slacking off, um, having his focus, which should be on the war, as he's self-proclaimed. Um, like, at mm-hmm. this point, still in the war, if I'm not mistaken, the other gods are not to involve themselves. And so right. he gets d- duped by his wife to go to bed with him, and... He falls into this uh, this uh, divinely enchanted sleep while Poseidon and, and Hera, um, underneath his nose, uh, start moving chess pieces around. Mm-hmm. And in book 15, in the next episode that we record on the Iliad, he, he's going to wake up, and uh, you can kind of expect how hot-tempered uh, Zeus is going to respond. And so we got two leaders here. The, the chief leaders for the Greeks and the, the chief ruler of the cosmos um, yep. uh, slacking off in their roles in, in, in two different ways. But, but, it, but like I, ironically, Agamemnon's abdication um, mm-hmm. lends itself toward um, their, their victory a bit because they, they push forward and the great Ajaxes, great little Ajax kind of steal the show on the battlefield, and then eventually Ajax, great Ajax, the only man that Hector is afraid of in on the battlefield, um, right. nearly kills him, nearly kills him toward the end. Um, yep. So we're kind of leaving you, uh, we're kind of leaving the listeners on a, on a cliffhanger because in book 15, which we're not covering tonight, uh, is when Zeus wakes up. And he's not happy when he wakes up. You can imagine. He's not happy. Right. But I still have this lingering suspicion that it's almost like Zeus has... uh, I'm going to... I haven't read book 15 in several years, so I'm betraying my... 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 My memory as well as uh, possibly my reputation here. Um, but, <laughs> but, you re- think... but you read it at, at one of the best of the best places, at St. John's, with some pretty top-notch students and, and professors, so that's got to count for something. I'm just a wannabe. I've just, I've just read it a few times with, with uh, high school students. Not at all. Not at all. You're fresh, and I am dusty. Um, but... I suspect that I feel stupid saying this, but the being duped by Hera and Poseidon is an opportunity for him to get angry, but it's all part of the show. (laughs) He he wanted uh, the the Argives to really take a, a beating, and they did. Um, they were about to, you know, hop in their boats and sail home. And 
and he certainly wants them to stop shy of that as well. And so, uh, up to this point, Achilles is still, uh, I mean, he's been referenced, but he's, we haven't gone back to Achilles yet. I think that's coming up soon, but, um, no, no, we, we just get hints of, of his rage. So raging, we, we get snippets of, um, Zeus's will as it relates to Achilles and Thetis here and there. So Homer keeps it keeps Achilles just in view to maintain our um our focus on I think what I think is like the central piece of the of the poem. His at least right now in my my reading of it like his his rage and these these this promise that he's made. Do you mean to tell me that that uh Homer is stringing our listeners along for 24 times an average of 600 lines. That's, that's, that's a lot of lines. <laughs> it's too late for me to do that math. But, wow. That, that is, that's intense. It's, uh, as I said at the very beginning uh, of, the, of the show, in episode two, I think, I can't. I, I still can't help but think that Homer centers on Achilles' fury, his rage, and highlights mm-hmm. other, the, these other little mini these other little mini shows of of, of rage within the gods and, and other men to just uh, set the stage for something really magnificent and central to what it means to be a human in Book Twenty Four. Um, just finished it again with my ninth graders last week, and I feel I feel I feel quite convinced that a part a part of this poem's thrust is to show the humanity, the the deep intrinsic desire for reconciliation and the beauty therein, um, amidst deep wounds and you see that when two enemies come together and weep together and kiss each other and and embrace you see that and you say that's beautiful and you come to um, Christ and Christianity and you say that is God it's not it's beautiful mm. because that is that is what god is like he like while we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly and um mm-hmm. that's beautiful yeah that's the, beautiful and in a, and in a sense the, sorry the uh constant refrain that follows uh, the Lord in the Old Testament is you know his a God of steadfast love or mercy and it's amazing that you see glimpses of that in ancient pagan literature hmm. it blows my mind and whenever we come to the ancient pagans as Christians we have um Spectacles that we that we read through, and um, as is appropriate, 
before every every reading of the pagans, we ought to read the listen to the the famous hymn, "Be Thou My Vision," recorded by our good buddy. My good 